Hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Joe, thanks for having me. You are incredibly welcome. Incredibly welcome. The baseball season's over. It's oh well, it's not over. I mean, we got the playoffs, but I mean, the regular season is over, which means this is our last Yankee minute of the year. I'm a little sad. Are you sad? I'm sad. I'm I'm definitely sad. I, I felt like Yankee minute was was a big part of our lives, and uh, and you know, it, it, it's there's nothing like doing like. Denver Bronco minute, which is not. There's nothing in like football that like makes up. I, I don't think. No, we're not gonna. Re- we're not gonna replace it with anything. This is our last Yankee minute until they somehow in January <laughs> trade a very middling like double A reliever for Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper, yeah. I think that I think we'll pull out like an emergency Yankee minute uh, for when they do something this up because. It's it's not going to get better. All right. Well, let's 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 have uh, our delightful producer Tess uh, play the Yankee Minute music for the last time this year. And the Yankees finished the year at eighty four and seventy eight uh, when they should have been. What what do we think the record should have been? I think they probably should have been something like. Let's say forty and one hundred and twenty-two. Forty and one hundred and twenty-two. That's what I was thinking. I think they should have been the worst team in the history of baseball. Uh, instead, they went eighty-four and seventy-eight, and kind of, you know, they did. They did sort of the perfect thing for themselves. Like they didn't. They didn't make that final push for the playoffs, and and didn't really deceive themselves into thinking they were better than they are. So they made all of these moves during the year that that are going to you know, absolutely, you know, make them a strong, strong team for years to come. But in the meantime, in, in sort of this throwaway year, they gave all those Yankees fans like a real playoff chase. I, it's, it's, it is astonishing what they did. Well, but you're also missing, you're missing the the main thing that they did at the end of the year to really just put a final <laughs> capper on a season of like, misery for me personally sure the red sox clinched the playoffs in the ninth inning of a game at yankee stadium they clinched their division crown right because the blue jays lost to the orioles i think is what happened right i believe that's right or vice versa i can't remember and so it's the ninth inning and they have like a they have a significant lead on the yankees and it's like hooray they they don't even need to win this game because they've already they've clinched the division there's nothing left to play for except you know home field which isn't nothing no. And then Craig Kimbrell proceeds to completely fall apart. <laughs> he gets he records zero outs, giving up a hit and walking three guys. They have to pull their closer. They bring in Joe Kelly, who promptly gives up a three run homer or a grand slam as a three run homer grand to Chera yes. to lose the game. Which means they didn't get to have this celebration <laughs> on the field that I that everyone had been waiting for. Because they lost the game, so they kind of slumped off the field and then celebrated like in the clubhouse privately. And even like Ortiz afterwards said, oh, I wanted to celebrate on that field so badly. And then you can't like celebrate the next day if you win. No, no. The celebration's gone. So just at the very end, the final twist of the night was a miraculous ninth inning comeback to prevent the Red Sox from having their happy jump around celebration on the mound at Yankee Stadium. And by the way, the Red Sox lost home field advantage to the Indians 
be, by one game. One game. That's right. That, that if game. They had won that game. They would have started this series at Fenway. They instead instead started in Cleveland and are now down 0-2. Yes, as we as we as we speak, the Indians are are leading that series two nothing. Uh, and David Price, I, I don't I don't want to I don't want to turn this into Red Sox minute or whatever, but I, I I'm just baffled. I'm just baffled by David Price in the postseason. You know, and I. People are saying, you know, I, I wrote that. I tweeted out something about basically saying, I'm just baffled. He is 0-8 now, I think, in, in postseason starts. Right. Uh, he actually has. They kept saying he's never won a game uh, in the postseason, but that's not true, actually, because he's won a postseason game uh, in, in relief, right. um, which is pointless. I mean, it's not, it shouldn't, he should, that, that should not count as a win, but it does. So I, I thought they kept getting that wrong. But either way, he's been... Not every time, but I'd say what six of the eight starts he was kind of disastrous. Not not just not just like hey he lost a tough game, but really pitched poorly as he did today. And I don't get it. I do not get it. I don't either. The truth of the matter is he. I mean, he ended up with uh, seventeen or eighteen wins. He's been shaky all year. Yes, yes, he, he has. Was, yes, he, he was has. better in the second half. He was better in the second half, and and there were signs that he was settling down, but. He just was never really at any point for any extended amount of time the guy that was he was supposed to be, which was like the dominant number one guy. I mean, he didn't start the first game for the Red Sox. They started Porcello. And he's like, I had no confidence in him going into the game. And it wasn't because of his postseason record. It was because all year he's been knocked around by very mediocre teams. Yeah, and he, he's strong. I don't know if it's mechanical. I don't know if it's just he's 30 and he's got a lot of miles on his arm or whatever. But the truth is that at no point this season, really from day one, like he had never he, – he, he had like months where he would, you know, four or five starts in a row where it would be better and he'd go eight innings, two runs and stuff. And it was like, oh, David Price is back. But he never had like a, a you know a, a dominant stretch of like six, seven, eight starts where he really shut people down the way that, for example, every single Cubs start did, <laughs> you know. And, and and so like I I really didn't. It wasn't surprising to me. I did not feel like David Price has got this coming into the game today. No, no, and and, and I would agree with that. I mean, but I think I think when you look over the the length of his career, and, you know, and. We're not small sample size people, so eight starts is only eight starts. But that said, you would think, look, this is this is guy with great stuff. He had great stuff today. I mean, that's all that's all the pitching coaches were talking about was how yep. good his stuff was today. Uh, great stuff, great mind. Uh, clearly, you know, just wants. You know, I, I tweeted out something about how baffled I was, and I had people writing, you know, writing back going, well, you know, the guy's a choker. He's a loser, which I hate. I hate that because it's because it's not true. I mean, it's just that you can see in his personality. I mean, he's not pitching scared. He's not, you know, I mean, there's something just weird that happens to him today. I thought he was just he was just fine in the middle of the plate. That's I mean, you know, I mean, that was really it. And today was also a weird day where Kershaw was knocked around a little well, bit, and hey, Kershaw was knocked around a little bit, and like well, Kershaw, you know, has the same thing. Has yeah. a weird. I mean, and it's weirder because Kershaw's better. Uh, but I think I've told you that one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in baseball was Kershaw against the Cardinals. That game, I guess, was two years ago. Uh, he was beyond. He was typically. Kershaw asked for six innings or five innings, yeah. and yeah. Uh, he gave him one like solo home run early, and then was dominant. 
And then I saw the Cardinals hit like six of the hardest rockets I've ever seen off a pitcher in a row. Like in a row, they just just bang, bang, bang. And, and it was like, what in the heck is happening here? So I don't know. I, I Look, I don't know. And, and one of the fascinating questions about sports to me is pressure and how you deal with pressure. These guys are these guys are professional athletes in the in the fullest sense of the word. Clayton Kershaw goes out 35 times a year in the regular season in front of 40,000 people and pitches lights out. Could the pressure really be that much different and change that much in the postseason? I don't know. Maybe it does. I, I don't know. I don't know either. And, you know, weird things do happen in the postseason. Yes. And they happen every postseason. And, you know, Rick Porcello had never given up three home runs in an inning, I believe, in his career and then did it against the Indians. Yeah. And then immediately, and then like they changed their signs and suddenly he was back to being Rick Porcello. And then like, you know, and, and it was like maybe they were stealing signs right. for an inning or whatever. Maybe they saw something in his delivery. Like, Everything is just intensified. Every every like thing is ratcheted up a little bit. Everybody is like laser focused on every pitch, and who knows? Who knows, man? But I it is. It, I think it was far more surprising to me that Scherzer and and Kershaw got dinged around than it was yeah. that Price did because, or even that Porcello did because the truth is this has been the Red Sox problem all year, and their their pitching had stabilized a little bit in the second half, especially, but. Uh, but they were never – I mean, they, there were very few sustained stretches of Price's year where it felt like he was the guy that they gave $30 million a year to. And so, yeah, I mean, he faces a decent lineup, good lineup, good you know power-hitting lineup like in their stadium. Like That's just what happens. <laughs> yeah, it was – the, 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 the Porcello thing, every fly ball was flying out of, of that state. I mean, it was crazy. Six home runs hitting that game and all that. Uh, one last thing about the Yankee uh, minute before we go on that. Um, the next day after the Teixeira home run, by the way, Teixeira had just a terrible year, just a terrible, terrible season. Uh, he hit 204, uh, slugged like 360. I mean, just a dreadful season. So that home run was, you know, for, for a guy who's had a very, very nice career, I guess for him and, and for his fans, I mean, that's, that's a nice moment. The next day, out of just purely a fluke, I spent the morning with Derek Jeter. I don't, I don't even want to explain how that happened, uh, but I did. I spent the morning with Derek Jeter. It was very, very nice. And, and uh, at some point during, or during our conversation, I said to Derek Jeter, this is the, the morning after, you know, what, what was probably sort of the, the crescendo of the Yankee season, I suppose, that big comeback against the Red Sox. And I said to to Derek Jeter, uh, oh, so what did you think about the Yankee game last night? And Derek Jeter said, I, I don't know what happened. Derek Jeter! Interesting. Isn't that interesting? So I, it, it feels to me like Derek Jeter is, you know, he's very involved in business and all that, but I don't know, it just, in my mind, and I know Derek Jeter has never claimed to be, like, like A-Rod, everybody knows A-Rod is, is sort of famously a huge baseball fan, right? You know, he's like yeah. like Pete Rose, like he would sit in the car and listen to baseball games or whatever. And Derek Jeter was never like that. Still, don't you wouldn't you expect Derek Jeter to sort of like still just kind of keep his keep his toe in it a little bit? Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it's healthy, you know, like yeah. maybe it's healthy to kind of make a little bit more of a clean break and sort of like get not be 
you know, so deeply involved. I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't say that Pete Rose is like a model of like, no, no, that's <laughs> so it's probably whatever, whatever he's doing, you may be doing the opposite. Isn't such a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. All right, real quick, we have to have our Adrian Beltre minute. Uh, so the question is... Do we have music for this? I, you know, I, I I don't know if Tess was able to find the music. Hopefully Tess will find some music for this. Um, and then we'll do our Adrian Beltre minute. Here we go. Uh, is Adrian Beltre awesome? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, he's still awesome. All right, so our full argument this week... Uh, for the record, I think... Next year, it should be the Yankee Minute and the Adrian Beltre second. Those should be the names of the two segments. I think, I think you're right. We separate them as the Yankee Minute and the Adrian Beltre second. I think that's, I think that's good. All right. We have, our full argument this week is a little bit more contentious than you would. It's never contentious. Uh, that's the whole point of the full argument. But this week, it is very, very contentious. I, I was surprised to find uh, that we have such a big disagreement on this. Uh, our full argument this week is about Vince Scully. Uh, the great Vince Scully just just retired after 496 years as the as the uh, broadcaster for the uh, Dodgers, going back to Brooklyn, um, and then I believe going back even earlier to Athens. So, your thoughts on the on the retirement of of Vince Scully? I uh, don't really care. Uh, doesn't affect me. <laughs> Never really liked him. Don't think he's good at his job. Uh, don't like listening to him. Not a good voice. Um, falls apart in big moments. Yep. Uh, doesn't have a, a knack for painting a picture at all. Um, don't think he contributed anything to the game. Don't think he's historically important. Uh, don't really care that he's retiring. I yeah. guess that's the simplest way to put it. I think it. we can set. We can just so. I, so now I have to take the other side. You got to take the other side. Now, yeah. who, who'd want that? Who'd want that opportunity? I have to say. I have to say. As we as we thought about the Yankee, I mean the uh, the faux argument on Vince Scully. I wondered how long you could go on. on, <laughs> on I really did. I wondered like how long can he can he maintain that? And you maintained it all the way through. I was pretty good, right? It was. It was excellent. It was yeah, excellent. Uh, all right. Here, in all seriousness, as we do our real fall argument, what what is it? Do you think? Like, if you had to pick, like the one thing, because like there are, there are a lot of really really good announcers, and there are a lot of announcers that are not very good, but somehow Vince Scully has always sort of risen above everybody. So, in your mind, why is Vince Scully sort of singular? Well, I think it's um, mostly that he did it by himself. And I don't say that because I think it's so much harder to do it by yourself than to do it with a, you know, a color commentator. Sure. Although I do think it is much harder. If you've ever tried to talk about anything by yourself alone into, into a mic or just out loud <laughs> for any reason, it's extremely hard to do it. It's almost impossible to do it uh, well yes, and, yes. and in a way that's informative and entertaining. Um, and so uh, the, I, I remember, I mean, obviously, I, I've known who Vin Scully was for as long as I remember. I don't remember a time before I knew who he was or what he did. And, you know, I, he used to do playoff games uh, and, uh, on TV, and I, I knew that he was a famous broadcaster, and he'd been around forever, and this is already 30 years ago that I'm talking about. But I remember at some point, someone said, you know what's so crazy is, he, is like he's, he doesn't have a color guy. And I was like, what are you talking about? Of course he does. And they were like, no, he doesn't. He does the games by himself. 
And it hadn't even occurred to me that that was true. And I think that the thing that is so amazing is that he's the best play-by-play guy. He's the clearest, most concise, keeps you informed of the minute-to-minute-to-second-to-second details of the game, and also is the best color commentator. He's also the most fun, interesting sort of artist when it comes to explaining in like visually what's happening and kind of giving you like insight and commentary. He does both jobs and he does them both better than anybody else. It's a really, it's almost like a magic trick. It's like, it's hard to believe. And now, you know, my son has, as you may know, betrayed me and become a Dodger fan. I did know this. Yeah. And so we now listen to him every time we're in the car uh, and we have watched him on TV many times, and, and there was a great run. They, they did a nice thing where at the end of the season, even though there's this insane Time Warner cable <laughs> problem where 70% of L.A. can't watch Dodger games because it's on, they're only on Time Warner cable and a lot of people don't have Time Warner cable. So you know, most of the city, most of the county can't watch their home team, which is so crazy. But they did this nice thing where they just broadcast the games everywhere. And so everybody could hear his last five or six home games, which was great. And, and so I would watch the games with my son. And my son, who's only eight and has only known what baseball is for about three years, is like devastated that yeah. he's leaving. And he's, he's devastated in a way that he would, be, he would be – he's more devastated about Vince Scully, I think, than he is about – if like – almost if like Clayton Kershaw were leaving. Mm-hmm. And it's just because he's such – he just is the guy who tells you what's happening. And there's an incredible bond that forms between, I remember listening to Ken Coleman and Joe Castiglione on the radio when I was a kid. And it was like, those, those, I, when I met Joe Castiglione for the first time, it was like as, it was as big a deal to me as meeting whoever, Wade Boggs or Roger Clemens. It was like, this is the guy who told me what was <laughs> happening. And he's been doing that for, for, in, for three entire generations. And I, and he's been doing it better than anybody else. I don't know. I mean, you wrote a very long piece about him. Like, what do you think it is? What's well, it's, you know, you. I think you hit upon something there at the end when you talked about Joe Sigliano. For me, it was um, Herb Score was, in Cleveland. Uh, and then when I went to Cincinnati, it was, it was, you know, Brenneman and Nuxall and, and, and in Kansas city, it was, it was, you know, they, they had, a, they had Denny Matthews and Fred White and, and, it doesn't, and I've written this before, it doesn't even matter how good they are. If they're longtime baseball announcers, they become embedded in the community, ingrained in your mind, right? Because they're, they're your summer music. They're, they're the thing that's playing in the summer when you're off school, when you're at barbecues, when you're, you know, when, when you're at the beach, when you're, when you're in the car, they're the voice you hear. And so so that magic, and I think magic is the right word for that, is every city in the country has it. And again, like like people in Seattle when it was when it was Dave Niehaus or you know, people in in New York with with you know several people, for them it doesn't like when when I go to another place and I hear that voice, I'm judging that person as how how good they are and some you know some of them are i think are very good and some of them i don't think are very good at all and i just i can't even believe uh that people listen to them to them every night but for them in the community in that place 
it's it's it doesn't matter because it's their voice, it's their person. Right. And I think Vince Scully was that for the country. Like that to me is what made him. It's because he was better than everybody else. Your point about the the color, no color commentary, him him essentially just it was one storyteller telling you about the game is it'll never happen again. We'll never have that again, you know? But I think that feeling that he gave you, you know, I mean, look, he was, he was the best storyteller and he, he was the guy who mixed in statistics. You know, I, I don't think you would call Vince Scully at any point an advanced statistics guy at all, but he was so smart about how he used stats. And if you gave him something that was kind of a little bit off, you know, off the, the center and, and, and was a little bit more complicated, he, and he was, and he was impressed with that particular stat. He built entire stories around it. You know, I, I just think he was, he just was once, we'll, we'll never have another one. We'll never have anybody that, that captured that game. Now, Vince Scully did other sports. You know, Vince Scully did football and, uh, you know, for NBC would do football like, you know, weekly um, and, and did other sports as well. But but baseball was his sort of soul and, and he just had the perfect rhythm. But you know what's funny is and this was be the last thing I would say about Scully. We all talk about he had the perfect baseball voice, the perfect baseball rhythm. But you know what? He he invented it. That's, it wasn't the perfect baseball voice before he did it. I mean, it's like he he came in and said, the way I do this game will be so close to perfection that everything that I do will be considered the standard, you know? Yeah, and, it's like saying the Grand Canyon had the perfect shape to, right. <laughs> for a canyon. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. And, and, you know, and look, I, I will say, I mean, I think you have to, if, if, as a... As a longtime fan of Vin Scully, uh, you know, Vin was slowing down at the end. I mean, he was still great and still wonderful, but, you know, he would mispronounce a name here and there and sort of forget where he was here and there. I mean, it, was, it wasn't perfect, and I think anybody who would say that Vin Scully was just as good at the end as he was at the beginning, in my mind, is sort of diminishing just how good he was, you know? I mean, it was... But, but 85 90% of Vin Scully is still better than anybody, you know? Yes. And, so, and and may may all of us be as good oh, as nine at anything. At anything. As he was at an incredibly hard thing, which yes. was to talk without any help from anyone else for three plus hours every night and explain exactly what was happening in a very complicated game. Now you're you're a bit of a of a fan of of announcers in general. You like to scan the television, particularly, and see this. Yes. Who is now that Vince Scully is is retired? Who's the best baseball broadcaster in the country? It's a great question. There are a lot of guys I like. Yes, uh, I like Dave O'Brien. I do too. I like Dan Shulman. I think he does a really good job. Dan is fantastic. Um, those are those are the two guys who, when they're talking, I am the happiest. They have a you know. No one is in Scully's class, obviously, and it'll take 40 years of consistency to even approach that class. But they have, I think they, those two guys, and there are many other guys, have, the, have a similar kind of even-keeledness about them. Yes. Where they let the game unfold, and they're informational, and they're entertaining to listen to without being oppressive or without trying to be too funny or 
whatever. Um, I think they're they're both very good. They're both uh, good. I think Boog Boog Shambi uh, yep. is really good and a friend, and and I think he's really good. I'm going to throw one at you, and 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 this will be a personal one for you. And I'm really curious what you think because obviously this this does connect, you know, sort of through back channels to your life. What do you think of John Miller? You know, it's a good question. I really liked John Miller when he was doing the ESPN broadcasts, mm-hmm. in part because he was paired with Joe Morgan. <laughs> and I came to appreciate the sort of steadiness of his of his announcing. Uh, I liked that he uh, said Hispanic ballplayers' names, Latino ballplayers' names with a Hispanic accent yes, that he yes. tried to sort of learn he tried to he tried to do right by their actual names, which I thought was nice. Um, and I liked the sound of his voice. I, I kind of liked him. Like I I felt like he did a good job in those broadcasts. Yeah, I Why think so. I think he's terrific. I really yeah. think he's terrific. And and you know, I mean, I, he was especially at the end, the last few years, he was really saddled, kind of with with a Joe Morgan that that I just didn't feel like really wanted to work anymore. Um, so that made it a little bit tougher. I think he's great on the Giants broadcast. I I actually think that he's to me he's the dean now. Like to me he's you know the the national guys that you mentioned and Dan Schulman is you know one of those people that you really just say you know great announcer, better person. I mean just just fantastic in every way. But I I kind of put John I kind of see because because we lost we've lost sort of that whole generation and and which which leads us to sort of the second part of this of this discussion. Very, very quietly, yeah. We lost another giant in yeah. in Dick Enberg, and and you know if it had not been for Vince Scully, like that sort of love really should have gone to Dick Enberg too. Like Dick Enberg was now Dick Enberg. It wasn't just baseball. In fact, it was very little baseball, and it was baseball in the last ten years. But as a football announcer with 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 Merlin Olson, particularly when he they were the number one team in NBC. As a tennis guy, yeah. uh, sort of as just the guy that like you needed something called whatever it was, you just pick up the phone and call Dick Enberg. That guy was great, just great, and he was a really good baseball announcer. I mean, I listened to some Padres games, and uh, which you know there'll be no other reason for me to listen to Padres games. Um, <laughs> he was really good. I I just think he he sort of like. You know, it, it's like Derek Jeter retiring and then nobody notices, like, this other great player who, who left at the same time. It's Kobe and Tim Duncan. That's how I've been thinking. Oh, that's a good one. That's really good. Kobe is the, is the, is the obvious, like, celebrated. Everybody knew he was going to retire. Everybody was tracking it the whole year. And then just very quietly, Tim Duncan tips his cap and goes, like, so long, folks. Yeah. And just walks off. <laughs> that's, that's what it was to me. I love Dick Enberg so much. Yes. I thought he was so great. And if you want to feel bad about yourself, go to his Wikipedia page and look at all of the different things that he did, <laughs> all of the different sports that he announced. It, there is not a, there's not a sport on earth no. that he didn't call. And in every case that I remember, he was good at all of them. Yes. He was a great football announcer, a great baseball announcer, a great Olympics announcer, a great tennis announcer. He was great at everything. And I it even, you know, the call, the simple and sort of homespun call, oh my, yes. when something great happened. I remember, I don't remember the circumstances, but I can picture and will be able to picture in my head and hear in my head Dick Enberg saying, oh my, at something spectacular, whether it was a of running forehand in a tennis match or a long run 
for a touchdown in a football game, I can call that up at will and hear exactly that particular sound of his voice. And he deserved to be a lot more celebrated in his retirement than I think he was. So yeah, we I- our caps to you. Dick Enberg. Absolutely. Just a fantastic career. By the way, and and in all other ways, I love the Kobe, Tim Duncan thing, except that in that scenario, Vin Scully is Kobe. That's... <laughs> yeah, we shouldn't tar him with that brush. That's not fair. God bless. And by the way, Kobe, amazing, right? And what an amazing finish and all of that sort of thing. But, you know, I think that both of those guys, and I, I don't know, you know, that's... One of those things that, that, you know, I've been fortunate enough to get to know both those guys a little bit. Uh, and they are, I think, certainly in my experience with them, they are the person that they come across as, uh, as announcers. And, and for the most part, most announcers, I feel, are that. They're the person that you're hearing. That's the, there's, they're not, it's not an act. That's, that's, you know, that's who they are. So I think that's really cool. But, you know, there, there seemed like there was like, I don't know, this simple that that was Vince Scully was the biggest star. I mean, if you're listing off who the biggest Dodger stars are since they came to LA, Vince Scully's like number one. I mean he's like a, he is, yeah. 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 He's, and, he's the most famous guy. I mean, when you drive to the stadium, you drive along Vince Scully way. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and yet there was always this sort of every man, he was the guy sitting next to you telling you about the game. And I think it's real. I think that's who he really is. And so I think that's that's why he came across. And Dick Enberg was exactly the same way. Yeah. All right. So who's the, I'm not going to ask you the worst announcers. I'm just not going to ask you. <laughs> I, I am going to say one thing. I am going to say one thing about announcing because it's this is the year that it's been driving me crazier than ever. It always drives me a little bit crazy. But this year, for some reason, it drives me crazy. And it's mainly in football, although you'll see it in other sports, too. And and I'm I'm curious what you think. An announcer will say something, anything. Normally, it would be a situation like the quarterback drops back to throw and he gets sacked, like a coverage sack, uh, because because nobody's open. And the guy, uh, the announcer, usually, you know, Phil Sims or somebody like that, will say, oh, that's you, you have to give a credit to the secondary. There was nobody open on that play. And they'll show replays and they'll say... The replay will be showing and they'll be talking about, it. as you can see, nobody's open. And there are two receivers like waving their hands because they're yeah. so wide open, but they'll never, they'll never backtrack on it. They just keep saying, well, as you can see, nobody's open. That contrast between what they honestly thought before they saw the replay and then not letting replay change their mind. I don't know what the word, I want to invent a word for that. That drives me insane. Yeah, I hear you. And, you know, going back once more to my old nemesis, Joe Morgan, um, <laughs> they would sh- he would say that the runner was clearly safe trying to steal right, second right. or whatever. And they would show the replay and he was out by a mile and he would just keep saying he was safe. <laughs> and it was very, it was so weird. And it's, it's like, it's okay. The game's unfolding in real time. It's a fast moving game. It's hard to tell at first glance. Just say, oh, no, you know what? He was out. Look at that. He got the tag down. Like, I, it, it was, it's a very weird thing. It speaks to some larger aspect of like human beings that people have a really hard time just saying, oh, I was wrong. This, it's very hard for people to say they were wrong. And in sports, unfortunately now, everything's in high definition. Yes, they have yes. a lot of replays. You, everyone can see it. And, you, and the inability to like admit that tiny amount of totally forgivable human frailty 
is probably now you would say one of the worst sins that an announcer can commit, right? It's like, just say you're wrong. We can see. We're, you, you can't fool us. We're seeing it. It's not on the radio. And it's not it. like any of us are going to think less of them for saying oh. it. I mean, it's like, hey, good for you. You you saw it. It was different. All right. I don't want to get – we're in replay now. I'm going to start talking about that Browns game against Washington, and, and, <laughs> and I'm not going to talk about a fumble recovery. We are done. Uh, this was wonderful. Michael, as always, thank you. And as always, thank you for having me.